really need to understand the the customer. We really go need to go into their shoes to really understand what is what they need, their fears, their their their, their dreams, their you know. And once we understand that, then we can actually try to intervene and do something that's uh, that's valuable. Welcome to the Exponential Organization podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. The world is changing at an exceptional rate. Companies need to not only continue to innovate, but also grow exponentially to keep up. This podcast will introduce you to the principles of exponential growth and how you can adopt them into your business. This show is sponsored by IdeaStorm, a leading exponential growth consultancy. They can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 2,000 consultants worldwide through to the 10-week Excel Sprint. Visit www.ideastorm.co.za to find out more. Today, our guest is Ignatia Martin. Ignatia is a leadership and organizational development consultant working for CLA in Chile, Spain, and Latin America. He's also a full-time professor at a university in Chile where he teaches courses in adaptive leadership and organizational transformation. So, Ignacia, welcome to the podcast. Uh, where Thanks, am I speaking Lance. to you from today? Well, I'm actually right now in Spain. Uh, I'm based in Chile, as you said, and it's there where I make my life, even though I'm from Spain. But right now I'm taking a year off and I'm here in, in Spain, and as a kind of sabbatical, so to say. And, and where in Spain are you? Well, right now I'm in Madrid. Okay, that's brilliant. Ignatia, how did your exponential organization journey start? Well, as, as you said, I, I've been working with change in organizations for the last 10 years, um, consulting in, uh, in Chile as everywhere in the world. Uh, digitalization issues came uh, and many clients began to ask me around how to perform digital transformations. So I began to write about uh, the whole things and I encountered the, the book, yeah, Ismail's book, uh, about exponential organizations that made a lot of sense to me. Uh, I, I'm previously a, a telecom engineer. That's actually what I studied back 30 years ago. And I left that behind, but somehow it came uh, back to me. You know, so I'm working with people, um, organizations, changing organizations, but somehow technology came back to me. And I just connected the dots. And right now I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing the certifications. I'm an Excel consultant and uh, we'll do the exo coach as well right now in the next months and just bring in the dots together technology change processes strategies everything together with this with this great model and how are you finding your certifications and journey with open exo and the exponential organization well so far it's been great as i said i just finished the consultant one uh, which is the consultant certification that i really like much and and well, I'm just looking forward for the new, for the coach certification, where they think it's going to open up um, even more practical experience, even though the consultant certification was uh, really practical as well. Uh, so I'm really glad with the process so far, and I'm looking forward to complete it. You've done a lot of work around change, as I read in the introduction. Um, can you tell us a bit uh, about how organizations respond to change and how the corporate immune system works? Well, yeah, well, it's... Um, yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> well, uh, immune system, I think, is a great analogy that's used in the open, uh, in the open exo community and the model, because it gives us a, a perspective on how organizations will react to to change. Uh, as in the immune system in the body, 
every time something new comes in, something that's strange, the, the body will, will react to that. That's a fact. So I think it's very important, uh, this analogy, because it reminds us that there will be always a reaction when we try to pursue change. And that is important because otherwise we may be so enthusiastic with our idea that we actually get naive and go into a system thinking everybody will embrace our idea and will applaud and they will be all happy about it. Mm. And we may forget that there, is a, there, there will be a reaction. And we need to be very strategic with that reaction and prevent what is going to happen and have some perspective on the impact that this new idea we are bringing forward will cause. And from there on, uh, be strategic so that we have more chances for this idea to go forward and not be killed off by the, by the immune system. I think that's the, that's the good side of it, of this analogy. But there's a, to, in my opinion, there's a downside to the analogy because uh, in the body, the immune system, the leukocytes are, are specific to that task. There are specific cells that will take care of defending the body of this entrant, okay? But that's not the case in organization. There's not like a police guard uh, uniform saying we are the immune system. We are the guys that will stop you from, from whatever you bring new to the organization. Uh, the reaction will be much more systemic, dynamic, and not as clear as if you would have somebody specifically appointed to stop you. Yeah. So that means you need to be much more, much more strategic about who's going to react, why they're going to react, what is it that will make them stop whatever I'm proposing. And that requires for you to observe the system, try to understand the impact of what you're doing. And from there define, well, what is the best strategy to cope up with the potential reactions? Learn from it and keep on trying until you somehow manage to get around and mobilize that, so to say, immune system. And what are some strategies that could be used? Well, as I said, um, it's important to understand why the, the potential reaction and why it happens. Okay, so the first point is understanding. I think this is something that has been missing a lot in leadership um, um, literature and, and, and work. Um, it's the need to make a great diagnosis before you intervene. It's the same as we do with agile, um, sorry, with design thinking or with a lean startup. We really need to understand the, the customer, we really go, need to go into their shoes to really understand what is what they need, their fears, their, 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 their dreams, their, you know. And once we understand that, then we can actually try to intervene and do something that's, uh, that's valuable. So when it comes back to promoting change in the organization, uh, my perspective is that we've had to pursue the same ways. Observe the system, try to understand uh, what is the, 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 the people involved in that, what is their potential reaction, try to make a map of them, a systemic map of the potential reaction of the system, that is the hypothesis, and then go into the system, intervene, see how they react, Reaffirm, rearrange your hypothesis or pivot to a new one and then go into that and keep on moving and moving until the system begins to change, okay? Mm -hmm. So the key tools here to me is first observing, interpreting, making the good diagnosis out of that and then finally intervening as, as we would do with a prototype in the market and learn from there and you know, keep on moving as we would do with the product and, and design thinking or lean startup strategies. What do you think are the main reasons why people are resistant to change? Because to me, it's, you know, employees work to get a bonus and money and, and a new 
you know, new innovation could not be as profitable as the current ones. And yeah. then the company itself might not make as much revenue for shareholders and, you know, it, with the new innovations that are get introduced. Are, the, are, these things, are, are these things that get encountered when you introduce innovations and change to a company? And, and what other things um, do you encounter? Well, absolutely. That's a great point. Actually, you, you said a sentence that's always kind of the mantra. And uh, I actually don't agree with it. You said that people resisted change. Okay, that's something I hear all the time. You know, you go everywhere you go. I actually ask the people, do you, do you think humans resist to change? Okay, and most people would say, yes, they do. Uh, but when you look a little bit about it, if you say humans resist to change, what you're saying is that uh, we people, we are born with two ears, two legs, two arms, and a resistance to change. You know, it's kind of something natural that comes in, uh, that comes in, into human nature, and everybody's like that. And I would say it's actually the opposite. Uh, if we look at, at the world, I mean, us humans are the only ones who are promoting change all the time. We are consistently introducing changes in our life, in our society, in technology. We are always seeking change, seeking progress. Uh, humans wouldn't allow to, I don't know, something as simple as eat every, every day the same thing as, you know, zebras do. We, we, we would get annoyed. We need change in our lives. We seek change. Politicians sell change. Marketing and publicity sales change. So we are humans in our nature is, is actually our curiosity is it's, it's, it's a way in pushing us to change. So I would say humans don't resist change. Humans seek change. But that doesn't mean that we like every change. That's something totally different. Yeah? So we humans, we may want change, but we just want change that makes us better off. So it's not our nature that stops change, but how is the impact of change in us that would stop a certain change? So what I'm trying to say here, maybe I'm a little bit too confused, but the point is, if we see a change that brings us progress, we humans will look for it, we'll go for it, we'll mobilize it. If we see a change that is somehow bringing us a big loss, we won't take it because we may like progress, but we are, I mean, we may like change, but we are not stupid. We just like a change that, you know, produces progress. So the fact here is that we need to understand is the change that we are bringing into the organization, is it making the people to be better off? Or they may consider that there's a risk of losing too much. So there will be probably people in the organization that say, oh, I think this is great. What this folks just developed here in this core of this H initiative is great because it's going to bring us a lot of revenues or it's going to bring us a lot of, uh, we'll save time or whatever it is. So they will say, well, we're winning a lot with this. And they will probably push for it. Well, no, probably they will push for it. On the other side, there will be people that say, you know, no way. If we introduce that, I will lose my job. Or as you say, shareholders won't get the revenue this new quarter or whatever it is. So if we introduce this, um, this change they're promoting, we will be worse off than we are now. So these people will resist immediately. There may be other people that say, I don't care. I don't see benefits. I don't see losses. So I'm fine with that. There will be other people who are in doubts. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? So they will be like expecting how things develop to see if they actually move for, to, for it or against it. So individuals' reactions will depend on how the challenge, the change you are promoting will impact them. And that is not going to be homogeneous on, in the system. 
you may have the CFO saying, this is a great idea. I think this is going to help me and he will be pushing for it. And you have the COO saying, no, this is going to hurt me. So I'm not pushing for it. But in another organization, maybe exactly the opposite. So the whole point, as I said before, is you need to understand the impact of what you're proposing on the people. Do they perceive benefits or losses? And if they do perceive losses, what can I do to actually change that so that they can somehow get on board of what we are promoting? Because otherwise they will always fight against. So what's, so you, you say we need to identify and monitor and watch how people are responding. What, yes. Do you have any suggestions about what strategies could be used to try and get them onto your side, try and convince them that the new initiative is a good idea? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first thing is you need to understand well, who's the people that are going to be against it. And then you need to make, a, um, as I said, an observation and some hypothesis and say, well, I think maybe this department or this age group or this gender group or this, whatever it is, they may have too many losses with what I'm producing, what I'm promoting. So first you need to have uh, an hypothesis of who's going to be affected by it. Who's going to be... Uh, being better off with what I'm promoting. So you make like a map of the different uh, constituencies inside the system with your hypothesis of how, how is it going to affect them. And then you need to define, and this is, I think, very important, you need to find a specific strategy for each one of them. And that is something that we usually don't do in change. We try to go and sell the, the benefits to everybody. But as I said, not everybody sees the same benefits and the same losses. So we need specific different strategies. So if I see a group that's very, very reluctant to change because they, they may be fearing that they lose their jobs, for example, then I need to come up with a strategy to take account for that loss and see how I can reduce that loss. Because if people think that you will have the benefit and they will have the, lo the loss, they will always you know, um, be against it and resist. So you need to come up with very creative strategies to see how can I reduce the loss that these people are perceiving and increase their benefits in order to, you know, to bring them on board. And to do that, and that's the, the, the hindsight to that, sometimes I may actually win less than I expected and lose more than I expected, but otherwise there won't be no compromise for the rest of the system to get on board on my proposal, okay? So you need to be very creative and strategic specific to the different constituencies in order to actually really promote change. And that requires a lot of previous analysis, as I said. Have you been involved or, or seen um, circumstances and almost case studies where change has been successfully implemented in, in organizations? Yeah, absolutely. As many occasions that uh, actually companies are continuously changing. So, but it will depend on many, many factors. First, as I said, uh, how big is the impact? That's why in OpenXO, we always say, if you want to do a core initiative, you can keep it inside the organization, but if it's an edge, you have to do it outside. What is the reason for that? Edge is much more disruptive and there will be much more losses inside the system. And therefore, a lot of, a big part of the system may be actually against the change. That's why they say, do it outside. If you are with a core initiative that brings less cost to the system, you may be able to actually manage the strategies inside the company. So one of the factors that, that produces success is how big is the impact of the change on the system? If it's too big, you probably need to be, to be successful, you need to bring it outside. 
If it's not that big, you may want to manage inside the organization, as I said. Second thing, and it's very important, is the circumstances around. If, if you do have a crisis and people are afraid of going outside the organization and they, they have no other choice, so to say, than staying inside, people will assume and accept bigger losses that if, if the situation in the market is so bright that everybody can leave and go somewhere else. Uh, additionally, if there's a big purpose, and that's one of the important things why we talk always about the massive transformative purpose, the MTP. If you have a real purpose that brings people together and gives sense to people, people will accept changes that are in line with that MTP because that is so fulfilling for them. So bringing up a good MTP is actually a key strategy to keep people together through the challenges of change, okay? Uh, so when you got all those ingredients together and a good strategy, you can be really successful. And there are many cases of organizations who, who, do, who did that. I can, I'm thinking right now of a company in Chile uh, that uh, was uh, is a startup of a bank, a financial services. They began to grow outside the bank, totally edge initiative. They were really successful, growing exponentially. And, uh, and so far, everything was great. What was the problem that the system tried to you know, to bring them in. And suddenly the losses that were not perceived in the system because this was an outside initiative as it brought, it was brought in suddenly those losses were conscious to people and they began to push again against this, uh, the startup and, but good luck for them. They realized it soon enough and brought it out again. So this is working quite nicely now because they've been very strategic on how to handle this initiative and the change that it represents. No, that's brilliant. Um, in the introduction, Ignacia, you said you're in Madrid at the moment and you yeah. normally operate in Chile. Um, what are you currently doing in Madrid? Well, as I said, as a consultant and a, and a professor at the university, I'm really keen to better understand this uh, human side to change, this organizational side, this social part of, of change. Because I think technology is just a means. At the end, it comes back to the people and that's why the MTP is so important as I said before. So what I'm trying to do here in Spain is actually getting involved with uh, startups and the digital exponential ecosystem in general, see how they work, see the challenges they have from, you know, cultural perspective, uh, uh, leadership perspective, see how they relate to big or old companies, what are the challenges they face, try to better understand how this different uh, cultures and mentalities and standpoints work together and what the difficulties are and uh, learn more about the of the exo sprints and get more confidence with it so that once i'm back in chile i can bring all that together and i'm also thinking about the potential book about this issue so this is something in my mind that i'm developing in, in parallel and how are you finding that how are you getting involved is it through meetups or through the startup community and how are you doing that in madrid is it is it quite a vibrant environment for startups and and you know the work that you're doing well i'm actually have been here just for a month so i'm just starting up i have uh, some context that i'm pursuing but well i would be glad if anybody listening would be helping me with that uh, it would be great it doesn't need to be necessarily in madrid so i mean i may have uh, you know talks with people around the world interested in the uh, in this subject uh, but I hope so far that uh, the contacts here are developing great. So I hope in the next months to have much more on, you know, on-site experience with them and, uh, and pursue new opportunities and get involved with as many startups and, and companies trying to promote change as possible. 
And as I said, if somebody listening wants to share their experiences with me, I'm glad to, to talk to them and, and maybe give them some advice as well. Now that sounds fantastic. And we'll certainly share your contact details. Um, I've started to ask all my guests on this podcast how the future looks. And mm -hmm. I do that because you know, exponential uh, organizations involve a lot around exponential technology. And, you know, Peter Diamantes and Singularity University, uh, et cetera, et cetera, believe in, you know, the, the exponential growth of technologies, which are sh shaping the way businesses are run. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you something very difficult. And if you can put on, look in the crystal ball, how, how do you think Spain and Chile and the world is going to look in two to five years time? Is it going to be radically different or just more of the same? Well, as I said, as humans, we pursue change and the world is, is going to change because we humans will change it. I mean, we've been changing the world for the last uh, centuries uh, and, and we are the major force driving change in the world. So we will be changing the world. The world won't look the same as it looks like now. Absolutely not. Um, I have no doubt that we will change it and we will change it at an exponential pace. Uh, and technology will support that change. I have no doubts about it. Uh, what I think, and that is what I've learned from looking at the major changes in humanity, we will be confronting very tough issues to, uh, today. We are already doing that from climate change to global economies, hungers, and, and all the issues that we are really keen to change. And I think we will probably change them. I have no doubts that we will solve many of the issues we have right now. But history at least shows us that every time we solve issues, we create new issues, okay? <laughs> yeah. so we will have new challenges and they may be even worse than the ones we have now or they may be better, I don't know. But I have no doubt that we will change and by changing, we will create new challenges that will force us to change again. If it's gonna be for good, for bad, I think it's gonna depend very much on us. It's gonna be uh, on how much we begin to think if, if I introduce this solution to this problem, what is the next problem I'm gonna create? Is it gonna be a better problem or is it gonna be worse? Mm. If I solve this current issue with some creative idea I just had, what is it gonna produce afterwards? Is it gonna be a bigger issue? For example, just give me an example, um, plastic. People who invested plastic were solving a lot of issues and for people in Africa who had no ways for example, to carry around water, plastic was a great invention because it was so light and they could you know, walk a lot of miles with, with the water. But now if you go to Africa, you see all that plastic raining around that, that had been there because before of that it was organic. You know? so, so people that produce plastic never thought probably of the issues, environmental consequences it would have. And I think today we're in the same situation. If we develop new technologies, I think they may be great to solve today's problems, but that's, to me, not just enough. We need to think, what is it, what it's gonna cost afterwards? And is it gonna be uh, responsible to create that? Or do I need to look for new, for a different solution to the current problems, a solution that doesn't create something worse off afterwards, okay? So I think we need to be very, very responsible and ethical because we will be pursuing change where we need to do it in a way that's gonna be, make the world better off and not, that we in 10 years regret what we are just right now trying to develop. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely, I agree with you. Um, sometimes I'm a bit negative and despondent about the future and other times I'm really, really positive. Like, 
the X Prize last week was awarded to a company that's making water from air. Um, you know, they've just started to make meat from cells, and they've, you know, they've also started to have renewable energy. That like the UK has now started to have 50% more uh, renewable energy than fossil energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I think I'm more positive than negative about the future. Do you? Do you see, how do you see the future? Is it going to be positive or is it going to be a difficult time for humanity? I think it's going to be much better off in many aspects. And, and it's probably going to be worse in others. I don't think there's a great future or a terrible future in front of us. Uh, for example, as I said, right now we are managing diseases uh, and much better than in any previous time in history. I mean, we are developing a lot of medicine and tools and stuff like that that's gonna that's are really really helpful and there's less people dying today uh, and living longer than ever before so that's for example something great to it but there is a downside yeah as well into that what is happening to for example to genetic manipulation and how's that's gonna affect is that gonna be uh, producing something that we are not aware of today and it's gonna get out of control i don't know it may it may so what I'm trying to say is that every time we, we bring something, it's certainly positive because we're doing it to improve. Uh, I think humans try to improve, as I said before. But we need to be aware that there's always probably some secondary effect that we are not aware of that, and that may be critical. So I think the future will look bright. We will solve a lot of issues. As you said, energy, I think it's going to be something incredible. It's going to be clean. I'm pretty sure about that. And clean energy will give us a ton of opportunities to solve other issues. And I really hope that, for example, climate change is going to be changed by the possibilities clean energy will provide in you know, recovering and getting back CO2 from the atmosphere, for example. But on the other side, we may create issues right now that we are not aware of that may uh, be real, real issues in, in five or 10 years. So um, I don't think we should just buy it into white or, or, or black. It's gonna be white, black, and grace. And the important thing that I'm trying to, to say here is that we need to be responsible and try to look as much as forward as possible in order to increase the possibilities of the great future and decrease the negative uh, secondary effects that, that we may not think too much about it right now. And that may be big, big issues in the future. Yeah, I guess that's where system thinking comes into play as well. You change one part of the system and it affects others. So you just need to know what parts of the system to change positively and uh, you know, to, to get a virtuous cycle. Um, Ignatia, you mentioned earlier that you'd like people to reach out to you. Um, what contact details could they use to get hold of you? Well, I think the best way right now that I'm uh, in Spain, it would be just to contact me personally directly. I think LinkedIn will be a, a great option. Just send me a message on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Ignacio Martin Maduri. Maduri is my second last name. Uh, you will probably find me. And if I don't know if you can just put it on. on, on I will, Facebook. yes. I'll put it in the yeah. show notes for sure. I think that's the best way uh, they can see my face there. And if they're part of the OpenXR community, they can just come and contact me through the through internal through internal mode. I will be glad to to share with you, try to help you if somehow if I can with this immune system reactions and glad to learn from all of you guys because that's what I'm really keen for right now is to try to learn more and more so that uh, I can bring it back to Chile when I'm finished here. Absolutely, yes. I, I'm trying to learn as much as I can as well. So we're both on this journey together. 
Um, Ignatia, is there any uh, last words that you would like to add? I think, yeah, something. If I think there's a quality that we need when we introduce uh, change, that's empathy. Um, usually when we, uh, when we are enthusiastic about a project, we go with the project and we so blind to the effects that causes and we tend to think well all other people don't get it or they are too old or they're just too too stupid or just just simply bad people or bad leaders or whatever it is so when we go with our approach we usually tend to um not consider enough how this affects others and i think if we're trying to bring in change we always need to look at other people and the effects on other people and that's why I think empathy is required for. It's exactly as in design thinking, when they say you need to do an empathy map of your customer. It's not your assumptions, it's not what you think, it's not your perspective on the world. You need to consider the recipient of, of the product and design thinking. And here you need to, re to understand how that affects the people in the organization and the world that are gonna be uh, affected by my change I'm promoting. So every time you produce change or you try to mobilize change, you should be first responsible, as we said before, think about the consequences of what you're doing, and second, empathetic with the loss and the pain you, that you are bringing to the system. Mm. If you are responsible and you are empathetic, you have much, much better odds to actually really promote change and to promote the change, as we said, really produces progress for everyone. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's, that's fantastic. And maybe uh, in a couple of months time, we can get you back on the podcast to talk about your research and maybe go into the empathy subject a bit more. I think we, we all need to become more empathetic. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I would love to. That would be fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Ignatia. I, I want to wish you everything of the best. And I look forward to continuing on this journey together. If you would like to contact me, then you can do so on www.ideastorm.ca.za. You can go and look at the related blogs that I've got there, the blog of this conversation, actually, and you can book me on Calendly, or, and I'd just love to engage with you. So if, you, if you'd like to call me please, and contact me, please do www.ideastorm.ca.za, and I look forward to engaging with you. Have a fantastic week. Bye.